Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And people, I found the old tune that was my intro. Yesterday, I couldn't find my intro song, which I found ages ago when I worked at Indie100.com. It's a song by Tycho Drums by Mike Meyer. And yesterday, I went to YouTube, and I couldn't find it. And I was like, what is going to be my opening song? And I was going to call my buddy... Uh, Rich Redman, who's Jason Aldean's drummer, I was going to call him and say, hey man, hook me up with a uh, nice drum solo. But I found my song, so I'm happy, and the show will go on. I was a little, I felt a little naked without the song yesterday, but we're all good. So anyway, we have a great show today. Uh, my guest is an ex-All-Pro NFLer. He's a touring musician. He's an advocate. He's just got a bunch of stuff going on. My guest is Kyle Turley. How you doing, Kyle? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, uh, yeah, you have a lot of, uh, you've had a really great career. You've done so many different things. Um, what, when you were a kid, did you, at a young age, did you want to play football? Did you want to be a musician? How did this whole life work out? I mean, you know, usually <laughs> you, don't, you don't see like NFL players being musicians and then, you know, I guess you got big. Tell me, tell me like when you were a kid, what was your life like as a kid? Well, you know, I mean, it's kind of unique uh, in the football sense. I, mean, I didn't play football till I was a senior in high school, but I was, um, I, I always loved football. Football was always a passion of mine. I, I, I was just drawn to the sport, and for whatever reasons, it just all escaped me until my senior year. Uh, I moved to Southern California when I was 10, um, and I did the surfing and skateboarding. I was a skinny kid, actually. Uh, uh, so, you know, not, not what I look like now. People don't believe when I show them pictures of me when I was a teenager, even in high school. And um, uh, football, you know, just kind of came around. I, I matured into being ready and, and able. I was a wrestler. I played baseball. I did every other sport. I just didn't participate in tackle football until my senior year, and it, it just went from there. Now, did you put weight on? Did you build up? I mean, what made you decide your senior year well, to play football? How much? I mean, how much did yeah. you put on your senior year? Um, you know, I, I had great coaches in high school that knew. You know, they were ahead of the the curve back then um, with training and and working out. Um, our head coach was just a real forward thinking guy and came from a, a great background himself. So. Uh, he implemented a lot of things that, you know, kids uh, in high school at the time weren't, you know, getting really. Uh, you know, weightlifting was big and stuff, but, it, you know, to know the right things to do to help build a body um, is important. And, um, you know, we were able to do that. So I started out 180 pounds the spring of my junior year um, at 6'3", and, uh, you know, which would be like a wide receiver. And then by football season, I was 220 and uh, ready to go to play defensive line, which is what the position was they wanted me to play. And uh, they just let me loose and go get the football, and uh, I was a wrestler again. I started wrestling when I was a young kid, uh, seventh grade, and did that all summers, everything. It was another passion of mine. I really wish wrestling had more of an opportunity, you know, to make money um, and, and have a career out of that other than just the Olympics, but... Uh, I guess you can now with MMA, but you know there's you just there's a lost art in that, um, and uh, so you know football became the thing, and I, I just clicked to me. I always was passionate about it. It was always there for me uh, as far as uh, passion goes, 
to a sport that I really was attracted to. And uh, the minute I stepped on the football field, it was the, the, the story started to be written, you know. So you decide you're going to go to college. And now how do you choose your college you're going to play? You went to, uh, you're an Aztec, right? Yeah, I went to San Diego State, but uh, took recruiting Kyle, can you can you get more can you get more on the phone? You're fading out a little bit. Yeah, sorry. That's probably better. Yeah, cool. Um, We're talking about the recruiting. Yeah, no, I I came from a year that uh, was uh, uh, preceding my senior year that that gave like eight scholarships to Division One schools to our guys, and uh, you know we had a great program. So those scouts all came back around again. When my head coach said he had another one, and uh, he had a few more. We had some great guys on that squad, and uh, my senior year put out another five scholarships to Division One schools. Um, with our football program. And so, you know, the scouts came around and I was there to perform for them like, uh, you know, was promised. Now you go through and you do well. And now when draft comes, I've never got to ask, I've, I've never gotten to ask someone this. What's it like when, you know, your senior year, when the draft is looming? I mean, and the thing is, it's, you know, you join the NFL, it can change your life. What is it like as a senior? Are you worried about possibly getting injured, or are you saying I got to excel so I move up in the draft course? What goes through your mind? Because you're still also at a young age. You're you know you're only twenty two. What was going through your mind your senior year? Uh, you know, just a lot of things. Obviously, it's uh, it's quite a interesting position to be in, uh, having that opportunity. So you just try to stay humble and keep your head down and. You know, nose to the grindstone, all the analogies, and uh, you know, uh, you, you, you try not to think about it really um, until it happens. You know, it's one of those things like uh, you can win the lottery. Don't think about it though; is it's probably not going to happen. But you know, this was a little different in that you're you're about to win the lottery. Like you just started playing football five years ago, you know, and you now have the opportunity to make millions of dollars doing it and live the dream that you had when you were a little kid. You know, I mean, I didn't play football until my senior year, but I have pictures of me in football uniforms. Uh, we didn't have tackle football in the little farm towns I lived in before I moved to Southern California when I was a youth, which I'm grateful for today for knowing, you know, what, uh, uh, you know, damage is done at the youth level of football to your brain. I did enough damage at the pro level and college level that uh, gave me a lot of issues to deal with. So, you know, prolonging that, uh, being that I had such a passion for it wasn't a bad thing. But I have pictures when I was a kid that are exactly, I'm in a stance. My mother's from Southern California. I have a football, Rams football helmet was given to me when I was a child. And I have a picture of me in a, a football stance with that helmet on. And it's the same stance that uh, I ended up getting the cover of Sports Illustrated with a real NFL Rams uniform in a game, you know, on the cover. So uh, just a weird kind of, you know, storybook uh, type of a life, you know, in football uh, that had a lot of twists and turns at the same time. Now, when you got drafted, you originally, they didn't think you were going to go in the first round. What happened? Was it the combine and the combine that did it? Or what? how did you move up the level? Well, actually, um, you know, I stayed my senior year um, because – you know, I wanted to improve my draft status. Uh, my junior year, I'd actually had um, uh, some t- 
teams that were saying they were going to potentially draft me in the first round. There were rumors. And then after I stayed my senior year, those guys came back around and said, you know, we're glad you stayed, but uh, just so you know, we were going to draft you in the first round. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, and, uh, you know, NFL's interesting. You know, I mean, they, they really scrutinize who they're going to pick. And, you know, I just proved to be one of those guys that was ready as a junior to go to the league. And so I stuck around my senior year to just improve that draft status. But more importantly, I, you know, I was at San Diego State and, um, you know, I had the opportunity to go to other big schools, um, um, uh, bigger conferences, but I chose San Diego State because I loved San Diego and uh, the recruiting trip just sold me on it all. And they were just coming off of Marshall Falk's success. So, um, you know, it, it was it was a building program, and I was excited about that uh, and being in California to help help that. And um, you know, so I, you know, again, football was fresh, so I didn't have these dreams of playing for certain colleges. I wanted to make it to the NFL, and um, you know, playing at San Diego State, uh, I had to really work hard, especially as a lineman, to improve that status. Uh, because of the conference I was in and all these others. If I would have went to Nebraska or any other school, SEC school or anything like that um, at the time, uh, I would have likely, you know, been just like uh, some of the other linemen that, you know, like Orlando Pace was the year before I was drafted, you know, the, the first pick in the draft. You know, I, if I went to one of those bigger schools to showcase my abilities, but I really had to prove myself um, in college, and then we, we played some decent schools. I mean, we were kicking the crap out of schools uh, like Oklahoma and Cal and all these other big schools. So people were taking notice because they know that that doesn't happen unless you got a you know, good offensive line. Um, and and then I just kept uh, you know answering the bell when given the opportunities. You know, they kept wanting to see more of me, and I kept showing them. You know, from my invite to the Senior Bowl, my invite to the Combine. Uh, my personal workouts, everything that, you know, they saw of me was warranting of, you know, my first, you know, round status as a top 10 pick. And, um, uh, you know, that I, I got, I took recruited, I took more recruiting trips, uh, or as many recruiting trips out, out of college to pro teams, uh, because they fly guys out that are projected the first round, um, as I did in, you know, coming out of high school to college. So, you know, I knew that that was potential to happen, and I just worked really hard for it and, and uh, showed up, and, uh, and it happened, you know. So it's just a true testament to hard work, and, and it doesn't matter where you go. You can accomplish, you know, greatness. But I knew I could have accomplished a lot more had I gone to one of those bigger schools that I had the opportunity to, uh, as far as accolades are concerned, coming out of college. I made All-American. I made all the teams. But, you know, I was just a finalist for the Allen Trophy and, the, you know, those types of things. And that were really kind of things I was shooting for. San Diego State kind of let me down on that one. They didn't really promote me enough, uh, you know, to, to be, uh, um, uh, to get that award. Um, you know, but Marshall Falk didn't win the Heisman, so I, I wasn't going to gripe. But I know if I would have went to another school, it would have been a no-brainer uh, for sure thing. Now, you go number seven. Now, I got to ask you, do you... Do you have a bunch of hats? Like, you always see the guys when they get drafted, they put the hat on. Does like, the NFL send you, like, ten different hats and jerseys so you know as soon as you get drafted you can put them on? I mean, how does it happen? I mean, do you have – Do you how, how far in advance do you know where who's going to pick you? It's usually day of, right? Yeah, 
keeps sliding down like you think like are people just leaving his house like you know he's supposed to go like 14th and then he drops like the second round or the third round and I always wonder what the party's like it's like people are all excited and they're like oh crap oh crap oh crap oh yeah that's, well, that happened to multiple guys uh, like guys on my team that uh, I played with uh, you know at San Diego State <laughs> they had everybody uh, telling me uh, yeah, it's so long to get, but uh, uh you know, back then it was Azakim and Ephraim Salam. And both those guys went on to have stellar NFL careers, played in Super Bowls, won Super Bowls. Um, and uh, they together, they had the same agent, Rocky Arsenault's uh, Marshall Falk's agent. And that jackass had them all convinced they were going, you know, in the top three rounds. And so they rented out this whole thing in San Diego, invited everybody in the whole town. And, and, uh, you know, all of, everybody there, they just sat. They just sat. And they just sat. You know, it was, it was kind of sad to hear about that. I was, I'd already had my day, uh, and I was at my folks' house where I wanted it to be, you know. Uh, I, I didn't want to have to deal with, you know, disappointments or anything, stress. I was just excited to be in the National Football League and have that opportunity wherever it was going to be. You know, whether I got dropped in the first round, second round, third round, I'm going to the NFL. This is my dream. I didn't care. You know, I mean, I was a poor kid, five kids from a truck driver, you know, father that's uh, a failed farmer. And, you know, it was, uh, we didn't have nothing. So going and uh, <laughs> making a, anything with the commas in your, in your bank account <laughs> was a, a welcome experience. Now, what's it like when you go to camp? Because, you know, if, if I was a lineman, there you still always have the, the Tony Mandridge thing or different, you know, when you're in the first round pick, the people think, you know, he might be a bust. I mean, you know, what is it like when you're going in there? And do you, are the veterans very hard on you because you're a first rounder? Or is there a bonding because you guys are offensive linemen and, you know, you guys don't get the accolades you should get, but without you, teams suck? Yeah, of course. I um, mean, especially a first round draft pick. You know, I mean, you have you have all of these 
expectations. And, and so, you know, whether you live up to them or not, it's up to you. And so I knew I had big shoes to fill. They had going to the Saints. They had uh, just drafted Chris Naoli uh, in the first round um, prior, you know, that prior year. And uh, he was offensive lineman from Colorado. He was a guard. Uh, Willie Rofe was a first-rounder. He was already proven all-pro, all-world um, at left tackle. Um, our center at the time was a 10-year veteran, Jerry Fontenot, that went to the, you know, played back with the Bears in the uh, 80s, out, right, right around the Super Bowl time, you know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so here comes this kid, and I remember uh, um, Jerry Fontenot, our center, saying to me the first day, he said, uh, just so you know, kid, you just made more money in one day putting your name on a piece of paper than I made in the last 10 years. Don't ever forget that when you go out there today. And that was, that, that stuck with me. You know, I, I never, well, you know, but it wasn't about that for me, and, uh, and it never was. People always assume that about players. It's about the money, but, it, you know, that's nice. It, it's about the game. It's about, you know, your showcase of who you are as a player and your talent. And, uh, I, I, you know, and uh, you know, playing for the people that helped you get there. You know, I, I wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for Ed White, uh, who was an all-pro offensive lineman himself, who was my coach in college, um, that uh, uh, played for 17 years in the NFL. Uh, you know, this was this was me showing up to make him proud. Every time I had the opportunity, whether it's senior bowl, going against all the guys in the SEC and the big schools, um, uh, to the NFL, you know, I always had to prove myself. And so there was... There was always that fire inside of me to know that I had to, you know, I had to do this. I had to, I had to prove myself. And so I carried a chip on my shoulder and just relied on what I'd been taught and that, uh, you know, I got drafted in the, where I did and they saw that in me. So I, I must have it. So let's go out and do it, you know, and I'm one of those guys I grew up surfing and uh, big waves don't scare me and, you know, when it comes and you see it, you either turn around and paddle in or you paddle over it and chicken out. And I've always been a guy to go big. Now, when you go to New Orleans and you, you step on the field for that first game in New Orleans, what's the feeling you have? I mean, what's is it just in awe because it's a, it's a stadium, you know, it's just it's a dome. I mean, what, what goes through your mind? You're a young guy. You're playing NFL. You As you said, you started five years before you know what I mean it wasn't like you were someone who's been playing since he's a kid what goes through your mind going onto the field that first day in battle um <laughs> you, get, uh, you can't describe it you know I mean this is this is uh an alpha male sport you're an alpha male and it's the ultimate opportunity for you to get out there and showcase that so um, you know, you have preseason games that kind of ease you into it, and then once you're in the mode, you know, at that point, I mean, you know, my, much like my first collegiate game, you know, the nerves make you kind of queasy, <laughs> so you want to throw up. But uh, uh, outside of that, you get the first hit out of the way and you move on. You know, I think, I, I don't know who my first game was against. Uh, Might have been Warren Sapp. I don't know. <laughs> my first but my, but my, yeah, I came in a unique uh, time in the league where my first game actually was a preseason game in Lambeau Field against Reggie White. You wow. Know? So it's like, yeah, so it's like, 
throw to the fire, you know, and that was, but that was my MO, you know, like, and I owned it, you know, I put Slayer on in my headphones, got ready, took a couple of money caps to, you know, to the head, and boom, I'm out, and I'm ready to go to war. Now, you... So throw it on the table. You have your playing, and you, you came into the public uh, eye more with uh, the the incident against the Jets. How did that all come about? Did you think that the fans would back you up? Or did you think you'd be like on every sports clip when you did that? And they'd probably still oh, show it. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it just was what it was. Uh, you know, since then it's been what it's been. <laughs> I mean, there's just two sides of it where people understand it and other people don't. But at the end of the day, when you watch it in replay and slow motion, uh, you clearly see what I saw and how you could be upset, especially the creed of an offensive lineman and what our job's supposed to be. And I couldn't sit by and, you know, just stand there while my, my quarterback's getting his neck twisted off and uh, screaming like bloody murder and, you know, and nobody's doing anything. And I'm sitting there trying to stop the guy and nobody's helping and the refs aren't helping, nobody's helping, and you just lose it, you know. So uh, one of those situations and in a a football game where you've got a compromised brain that's being battered around, decisions don't necessarily fall on the good side. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things. And yeah, I mean, as a, as a fan, you sit there and you're watching and you go, yeah, you got to protect your quarterback. I'm an Eagles fan. It was a few years ago when someone hit Nick Foles after the play. The lineman smacked the guy and you said, that's what you do. That's your job. You're a lineman. But it's amazing that after that, the fans just, you were like, you could have ran for the mayor of New Orleans. Yeah, easy. I still, probably still could on those grounds, you know, and that the people know that you're somebody that's going to stand up. I mean, still to this day, it's, uh, um, you know, I'm proud to be one of the guys that everybody says, uh, you know, if you're going down a dark alley, who do you want with you in the NFL? You know, they ask that question every now and then, and almost unanimously to a guy, everybody says Kyle Turley's one of them. <laughs> So, you know, if, that that's likely in the general public. Uh, I don't uh, turn away from that. I, I, I own that, and I'm proud of it. Now, when you were playing with the Saints and through your career, and it's all coming out now, but what is the extent of players playing injured? And is it something where you just you go with it, especially years ago? It was something that no one ever talked about it. And as we see the long-term effects, it it's you can tell there's things that have have happened but back then i mean what's the mindset you just don't want to leave your let your teammates down or because nba players always they don't they'll sit out for a hangnail but for for football players it's like what what's like on a, the day after a game do you just feel beat beaten up and just you know how do you get around uh barely <laughs> Uh, but the difference to what you mentioned is, you know, I'm glad you brought in basketball because the difference isn't the players. The players will always go, uh, you know, for the most part. Because um, you're challenged, especially in the national football, at any professional level, you want to go. And you're going to push yourself past the brink. Uh, where the difference is, is the NBA uh, enjoys guaranteed contracts and NFL players don't. And NBA doctors are held accountable to those guarantee contracts, and NFL doctors are not, and uh, can easily uh, go around the Hippocratic Oath to advise players on their situations and what it is they should be doing. Uh, there's no vested interest in NFL football players' health. 
uh, on the, the, uh, the side of the team, or, uh, especially the team doctors, that the collective bargaining agreement allows them to escape any litigation whatsoever for malpractice. And uh, I know in my era, and still to this day, they don't give proper advice. I mean, Michael Orr of the uh, Ravens just posted a picture the other day of 10 pill bottles they've been prescribing him for his concussion symptoms. You know, uh, that they are doing this and running from what benefits are uh, available uh, health-wise that are not synthetic pharmaceuticals and opiates, um, you know, killing his body and brain just to get him back out on the field to mask these things so that he feels better for the moment instead of helping to heal these injuries. Um, you know, that, that's where the disconnect is. Um, you know, they're, they, they, as far as injuries are concerned, players will always go. And when you have doctors with these big degrees and big practices and all these fancy you know, offices, and now they're the NFL team doctor, and they're telling you you're fine. Oh, it's no big deal. Uh, you just keep going. It's football, and it hurts, and you suck it up. And, you know, all of the things that you're taught as a football player uh, help you do that. You know, you, know you, you break one finger, and that's why God gave you ten. Uh, t- tape it to the one next to it and move on. Um, you break your leg, Jack Youngblood taped uh, magazines and created his own splint on the sidelines and to show the doctors he could stand on it, and they said, okay, fine, go out there. You know, uh, no matter what era it is, still to this day, NFL players are manipulated in, when it comes to injury. And we have the ultimate uh, uh, prey for individuals like the NFL to who have no... Uh, care or worry or concern about our health to manipulate that. And they know that uh, we've been trained from day one to fight through pain, to fight uh, the human body can accomplish uh, when adrenaline kicks in for one, but then you kick in Tordal and all these other things that we've been given to numb your body completely where you can run into a brick wall and not feel it. Um, you know, that that's where the disconnect lies. Now, the concussion syndrome protocol has changed. Was there even protocol when you played? And on a, I mean, it seems like when you, as you said, you're constantly getting, especially linemen, you're constantly getting hit in the head. And the defensive linemen, you guys get the hit in the head. And it was it, would you, would you know if you had a concussion or was it just something that it was basically second nature that you knew when you left the game you were going to feel like that? Well, you knew what a, you knew you had a concussion, but you didn't know what concussions were. They were just called bell ringers, and so you just got I just got a bell ring. It's no big deal, you know. Uh, and then there was the ones where you're completely knocked unconscious, where then you go, oh, I got a concussion. But still, there was no big deal paid to you know the 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 repercussions of that. It was oh, just go home and let us know how you feel the next day, and if you still feel like shit, we're still going to give you a clearance to go to practice. So, you know, there's there's been no attention to concussions. There still isn't really attention to concussions. They're just paying a lip service. And, um, you know, I mean, every year, last year, again this year, you'll see it. Uh, where a guy will be knocked unconscious for a brief moment, get up, stagger, and they'll let him right back in the huddle because nobody saw it. But you and I can see it clear as day on, uh, you know, sitting on our couch, you know, no. watching the game. Uh, no. So, Players, players know when we've had concussions, but they just haven't been given any credibility whatsoever. 
Now, how easy was it to get a prescription back then? Did the, did the owners and the, I mean, the, the, phys, uh, the trainers just say, okay, you know, you're hurt, here you go, and not really think of any long-term damage to it? Well, obviously, and they still don't. Uh, Michael Orr, again, just posted the other day, a bottle, 10 pill bottles uh, to deal with concussion symptoms. So, you know, they, they don't learn. Uh, they, you know, they mask it. They try to make it look better. But at the end of the day, their job is to get you back out on the field as fast as possible. Um, and so back then, it was a lot easier than it is now. But uh, now it's just a little more scrutinized and... Uh, uh, they just close the door individually and don't leave it wide open for everybody to see the line anymore, you know, going out and coming in. Now, I know you're an advocate for marijuana usage. Why hasn't the NFL accepted that? I mean, it's so funny when we talk about pharmaceuticals. I recently went through a problem. Uh, my health my care changed for a little bit, and they weren't going to give me blood pressure medicine. And I'm like... You can get an opiate, but you can't get blood pressure medicine. What? Why do you think the NFL doesn't say let's use a natural thing? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's just put pressures and misperceptions. Uh, you know, it's old school mentality and, and the old guard that's still in charge. Um, and all of these individuals are highly invested in our government and industries and all these other things. And so you can you can throw the conspiracy cards on the table. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, they use it as a tool. It's one of those things. They don't pay serious attention to it. They test for it once a year. All you got to do is pass that test, and then you can use marijuana the entire season. Um, uh, so they don't really put, take a serious stance on this, like the NCAA does, where it's completely random and testing. So it's just a, it's another tool, and it's a trip for them to uh, really play politics with players' lives. If uh, they, they step out of line or get in trouble, you know, uh, more more scrutiny would be paid to a player for having a rolled joint in his car that hasn't been smoked um, than the actual DUI he got, you know, coming home from tailgating after the game um, and drinking all the beer you were promoting. Um, you know, that, that that's a forgivable offense, and, you know, you can move on from that like, you know, all the coaches and owners do and participate in. Um uh, but with, uh, you know, he's going to have to go into drug programs and be tested for everyone under the sun because they found a joint, you know, and, and uh, uh, unfortunately, we've been, you know, given the uh, company line as far as it's concerned to our health and wellness and medicine, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about what I say, you say it's going to be the science, and science is going to continue to make Roger Goodell and the National Football League look as stupid as they are, um, um, on subjects like this, uh, because it's highly medicinal um, on both sides, non-psychoactive and psychoactive uh, uh, parts of the plant that can resolve a myriad of issues dealing with pain and inflammation and injury and uh, you know all kinds of <laughs> neurological disorders. Uh, our government owns a patent on it as a neuroprotectant. Not one of the bottles I was ever prescribed, or Michael Warner for that matter, uh, do they own a patent on as a neuroprotectant. So, um, you know, eventually, like I said, science is going to catch up to them and continue to prove them to be the dumbest people alive on the planet. Now, when it goes back to injuries, when you got traded to the Rams, you got injured, and they just still wanted you to keep playing, right? Oh, uh, yeah, any injury you get, they just want you to keep playing. Uh, back injuries, concussions, broken bones.
phones, whatever it is. They're going to, if they need you, they're going to make sure you're out there. Now, you said earlier you when you were in the Rams uniform, it was in Sports Illustrated. What were you in the cover for? Um, I, I don't know. I think they made, there was a story on offensive line play or something. I'm not sure. Okay. So now then also, then later you got traded to the Chiefs. Now, what is it like when you're sitting there and, you know, you were loved in New Orleans, the crowd, the fans loved you. When you went to the Rams and then with the Chiefs, what's it like when you get traded to a team, especially if it's like from the Saints to the Rams because you're in the same conference? Yeah, I, I didn't get traded to the Chiefs. I signed with the Chiefs. I was traded to the Rams from New Orleans. Uh, that was disappointing. But, you know, whatever, I grew up a Rams fan being a kid, so the joke was on them. Um, uh, but then I got released from the Rams, the joke being on me and my back injury and everything from my concussion that they just decided to let me go. Um, and I had to fight my way back and sign with the Chiefs for two more years. So, uh, you know, again, it's the NFL. It's the name of the game. It's what it is. And, uh, you know, you have to... Uh, you got to play it, uh, and so that was the card that I was dealt. And you know, I, I was fortunate to be on the other foot in the beginning of my career, uh, but struggling to fight to hold a job uh, was something I I have a, a great respect for now that I don't think I ever would have uh, achieved um, had I not had to go through that. And all my other, you know, friends and guys I played with that had to play their entire careers and bounce around all over the league and uh, you know, picking up your family and moving everywhere. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough gig, but uh, uh, I enjoyed uh, all my time everywhere I was at um, and, and the experience overall. Uh, Could have worked out differently, should have worked out differently, but uh, we don't live in that world. Now, when did your musical career start? Were you always a were you always into music? I mean, because it's, you know, you don't... You don't yeah, I got to get going, man. I'm really sorry, but uh, uh, I didn't expect the interview to go this long. I got to get to running. Okay, man. All right, no problem, man. We have a good day. Thanks for calling right, in. Man. You too. Take okay. care. All right. People, it's Kyle Turley, Kyle Turley. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only sip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next week.